Brooklyn, did you get me a water? Did you get me a water, please? Right, just go right through there, get me one, bring it right on. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Everybody looking so bright and chipper and ready to go, ready to receive the word today. I got to say hello to you over here today on this side, and I got to walk over here and say hello to you guys here on this side, and uh, because you guys in the middle get me for the whole ride, because, you know, it's, it's uh, these reels, these vignettes, these video things that I put out, you know, they, they've got like a tight lock on, thank you so much, tight lock on me here, so they got me on lock kind of behind the pulpit, because if I go out here, I step out of the frame. And so I'm like, okay, we'll just stay on lock. And that's okay till we get someone the Lord raises up to follow me around with the camera. All right? <laughs> if you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hands so we can get going today. Anybody need one, just raise your hand. We'll get one thrown right in it. I, I trust that by now most of you have a phone or an iPad or something if you're not. But, but the good old-fashioned... Um, Bible, you know, just the print. There's just something about it. I, I mean, I use mine on my phone. I use mine on my iPad, you know, all, all good and well. Uh, but man, there's just something about that good old fashioned book. You know what I mean? Pages turning and you can write in it and you can get the feel for it. And I don't know. I encourage it. Let's take our Bibles, turn in them. Guys, we're going to finish the book of 1 John today, chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. John signs it off. He just says, hey, keep it real, you know. Uh, so, you ever see anyone, that's how they, how they leave. Hey, man, see, keep it real. No? Uh, Jody says it sometimes. Keep it real. Well, John said it first. And uh, so, essentially, that's what the title, that's what we're calling the message today, keep it real. Father, we thank you so much just for gathering us together, and we pray, Lord, that you would take us and teach us, Lord, by the power of your spirit. We are just uh, vessels, Lord, that just in your hands, you are the master potter. We are, we are just clay, and we're praying that you would form us, that you would fashion us after uh, your own image. And so give us ears to hear you, Lord, we ask in Jesus' holy name. Everybody say, amen. amen. What a wonderful journey First uh, John has been. Uh, John John has written to us in a profoundly simple, straightforward, and powerful way. Uh, his overwhelming emphasis upon Jesus Christ, who he is in truth, who you are in him, what your life will look like if you truly belong to him. And his heart has been to assure us of the fact that salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's found only in Jesus Christ, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You've trusted in him. Him. Uh, you've been saved by him. Now continue to trust in him and don't be shaken or led down a path that drifts away from him. Keep confidence in the simplicity which is in Christ. Okay, so let's take our attention. Uh, Jared, you want to pull me back just a, a little bit? That'd be uh, fantastic or whoever's up there just a little bit. Uh, let's take and turn our attention back to verse 13 of chapter 5 uh, that we might kind of fall into where we are today. V verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God uh, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, don't second guess the power of God to save you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. Don't add to the gospel. Don't take away from 
from the gospel, but just continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Keep confidence in Christ. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews put that like this. He said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And guys, it's with this encouragement to trust in the faithfulness of God that John begins to kind of wrap up, wind down, move toward the close of his letter. And so with that, we're going to look beginning in verse 14. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so having developed this idea of keeping confidence in Christ for our salvation and our sanctification, John now takes this same principle and applies it to our prayer lives. Guys, if you can trust the Lord to save you, to pull you out of the miry clay and establish you, then you can trust him to hear you and respond to you when you call to him. It's almost as if he's reasoning from the lesser to the greater. If God heard you when you were a sinner and there you were in your reprobate form and you were crying out to him, you were calling upon him and he heard you, he responded to you, how much more now that you're his child, can you trust that he will hear your cry, he will hear your prayer and your petition? He says, now this is, and underline the word there in, in verse 14, this is the confidence we have in him. And this word confidence, more literally, it means freedom of speech. It speaks of boldness. It speaks to the fact that we can come to God openly transparently there is no need for ambiguity or walking on eggshells quick question have any of you ever been in a situation where you feel like you really can't speak openly or plainly to someone you know I mean you feel like you're walking on eggshells around them and the slightest word that hits them wrong will set them off or somehow be taken and turned back against you or cause some kind of difficulty or, or resistance to you. Anybody felt that ever? Yeah. yeah, well, John says, listen, there's none of that kind of thing with God. You can come to him. You can speak openly with him about what's in your heart, what's on your mind. Again, in the words of the writer of Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly, that, you know, confidently to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And guys, just to simply state the obvious, this is not like an invitation unto rudeness before God or here I am going to vent all my, you know, fleshly carnal kind of feelings before God. The Lord is just saying, speak freely to me. Share openly with me. Make your requests of me. There is no need for intimidation. There's no need for any kind of trepidation. God's just saying, listen, just come to me. Speak to me from your heart. And I think that we do well to pick up on the fact that there are a couple of prerequisites here that need to be in place if you or me, I, we, are to have fruitful, effective prayer lives. And I suppose the first thing that we need to see is that if we want God to move, don't miss it. We need to, well, the word is ask. 
the first condition put in place is that we need to ask. Guys, truth be told, much prayer comes to naught simply because it never truly asks God for anything. And guys, I'm not trying to imply that our prayers should revolve only around petitions. Certainly as we come before God, we want to worship God. We want to give praise to God. We want to give thanks to God, perhaps sit silently and just kind of wait in the presence of God. All of those things as we come before him in prayer. But ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see God move in your life, if you want to see God move in this certain situation or in this ministry or on behalf of someone else or whatever the case may be, you just need to ask. The book of James puts it plainly, you do not have because you do not ask. Family, allow me to remind you that you serve a loving, generous, giving God and he wants you to ask of him. Again, reasoning this time from the greater to the lesser. Guys, if God did not withhold his only son from us, the greatest gift that he could ever give, but freely gave him out of his great love for us, how then or why then would he ever withhold something lesser from us if it would truly bless or benefit us within the context of his plans and his purposes for our lives? But oftentimes people simply don't ask. A lot of times they just supply God with information. You know, you've heard the informative prayer. And, and, and you know, and, and the truth is, it's like as if God doesn't already know. And here they are, and, they, and, and oftentimes it's in a prayer circle or sitting of some kind. And we've all been guilty of this. In reality, we're kind of using the covering of prayer to inform everyone what's really going on. And uh, maybe they'll be begin to pray for us or whatever the case may be. But the truth is, they give God the details of their problem or describe the situation that they're facing. And they, what I say is, you know, they're circling the runway. You know, they're circling the runway, but they never really land the plane. They never get to the petition. They don't ask God. They inform God. They don't ask God. And look at this next word. John says, you can ask, oh my, underline it, circle it, highlight it, anything. Guys, there is absolutely nothing that you cannot talk to God about. There is nothing swirling around in your heart or in your mind that you can't bring before God, that you can't seek to glean the heart of God concerning the matter. I want you to be sure of the fact that there is no part of your life that God does not care about. There is no detail too small. There is no problem too big, but that we can't bring it to him and lay it down before him. As Paul the Apostle said, in everything, guys, not by some things, the really big things, the majority of things, or every now and then something. He says, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Ladies and gentlemen, I simply do not see a caveat or an exception in this verse. And so we sang the song, Oh, what peace we often forfeit 
Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry, what's the word? Everything to God in prayer. Family, I just cannot stress it emphatically enough. God wants you to ask of him. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3, call to me, God says, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You want to know? You got to ask. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone, what are the words? Who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. And friends, you should know that the verb tense in what Jesus said there. And what we just read here, what John said, are identical. In other words, the idea is ask and keep asking. Don't stop asking. And I'm not saying that you can ask God for anything and that he'll give you anything you ask for, right? What I am saying is that there are no part, there is no part of your life or the worries or the, the wanderings, the whatabouts in your heart that you cannot bring, that you should not bring to God. You know, I've run across a number of people. I, it's not really even an anomaly. It's, it's, it's a little more rare, but it, it's not altogether uncommon. I've run across a number of people over the years who tell me that they never ask God for anything. And maybe you're in here today and you're of that persuasion, you're in that position and you're kind of of the same mentality. Well, I'd encourage you to listen closely, you know, because they feel like, number one, God already knows their needs. And this is what they'll say. Well, you know, God already knows my needs. And so uh, I feel like if he wants to meet them, if he desires to meet them, then he will. Kind of this fatalistic approach, right? Like God already knows. And so if he wants to meet my needs, he'll, he'll do that. Uh, and number two, they feel like a personal petition is selfish. And so, you know, well, you know, I pray for others and all, but I never ask anything for myself. Now, that certainly sounds noble. But the truth is, it's incredibly prideful. It stands in defiance and in direct disobedience to the Word of God. The Word of God tells us plainly to ask of God. And I suppose that we should point out that perhaps the biggest secret to effective prayer lies in the next phrase. You can ask anything. That doesn't mean he'll do anything. But here's the real key to a powerful, fruitful, effective prayer life. If we ask anything, look at the next four words, according to his will. Now, I know that this may come as a bit of a shock or a surprise to some of you, but the purpose of prayer is not to persuade a reluctant God to do what I want him to do. You know, this is oftentimes what our children try to do with us, right? And there they are, and they got the plan all figured out, and they, 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 they just got to figure out a way to kind of get you on their side to see things the way they see them, to have the perspective that they have. And if they can just convince you to do it their way, everything's going to go great. And sometimes we approach 
prayer in this same fashion. Like, God, I got a plan. Man, I got it figured out. If you'll just come my way, I know it's going to go great. But it's been said that prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. The idea isn't that of trying to form or fashion his heart after ours, but that he would form, that he would fashion our heart, our mind, our desires after his. It's about lining our will up with his, not getting his will in line with ours. Uh, one commentator said this, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or for bending his will to ours, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation of the theme, your will be done. Now, perhaps you're you're there and you're sitting there and you're sort of thinking, you know, Pastor Jeff, I don't get it. I mean, if God has a will and he wants to perform his will, then why doesn't he just do it? Why is he waiting around for me to ask him to do it? That's a good question, isn't it? I mean, if God has a plan, if, he's, if, he, if his will is in effect, he wants to perform it, why doesn't he just do it? Why is he waiting around for me to ask him? And it can seem sort of silly to us that God would wait on us to ask him rather than just do what he wants to do. And though it may sound or in some respects at least on the surface seem kind of silly to us, ladies and gentlemen, it's not silly to God at all. Because more than what God wants to do through us, listen to me, more than what God wants to do through us is the work that he wants to do in us in aligning our heart and our mind and our will with his making us more like Jesus let me give it to you another way God is way more concerned about you than he is the ministry that he has given or entrusted to you he places greater priority on his work in you than he does his work through you. Are you tracking with me? And for reasons, some of which are unknown to us, God is ordained to partner with us in the accomplishing of his purposes and plans. And therefore, he'll wait on us all the while doing a work in us while our will and our agenda and our desires are being aligned with his. This is important to God. He wants us to care about the things he cares about. Guys, we need to understand that prayer is much more than casting wishes up to heaven. You know, not much different than throwing a penny in a wishing well. Some people, that's how they perceive prayer. Well, you know, I pray or I can, you know, throw this penny in the wishing well. And yeah, it's about the same, you know. God would have us be, what's our word? Confident in prayer. This is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we ask of him. 
And let me just say that the most definitive way to be sure that I am praying according to the will of God is that I would find the premise of my petition in the Word of God. So there you are and you're praying, God, I'm just praying, would you help me to love that person more like Jesus? Let me tell you something, God says, listen, I hear you. You know, God, just help me to forgive that person. God says, I'm listening. God, you know, give me a grateful, more thankful heart. God, help me to be more generous toward you as you, God, have been so generous and, and gracious toward me. I'm telling you, you wait, you watch, and you'll see God move. Now, there are always, there's always an overarching context, isn't there? There are certain things that can hinder our prayer lives. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Here I am, I'm hanging on to, I'm kind of clinging to, I'm, I'm sort of uh, marinating in, I, I'm harboring some sin in my life. Well, then my prayer life is going to be hindered. The Bible says that if my relationship with my spouse is not as it should be, husbands, wives, then my prayer life is hindered. And so, you know, if you're in a place where it seems like your prayers aren't really rising much higher than the ceiling, well, I would encourage you, you would do well to consider the things we've talked about. And you might pray a prayer kind of like David did in Psalm 139. You remember what he said? He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, God, I'm looking, I'm searching, I'm seeing, I'm trying, I'm weighing myself in the balance. I'm not finding anything. And maybe I'm blind. God, I'm asking you to search me. I'm asking you to show me. I'm asking you to test me and try me. You know, put the re me in the refiner's fire as the case may be. And if there's any wicked way in me, oh God, if there's anything that, that you would want to change in me, that you would want to do different in me, you see, you are the good shepherd. I am the sheep of your hand, oh God. You lead me in the way that I should go. Are you guys with me? Yes. Okay. Now look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Look, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading or not to death. You know, I'd just like to thank the Apostle John for putting these little zingers in here toward the end of his letter. You know, this is he who came by water and by blood, not by water only, but by water and blood, you know, and, 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 and you know, there is sin not leading. So you see someone's leading, you know, sinning a sin leading to death. I'm not telling you to pray about that. There is sin that doesn't lead to death and all this. And like, leave guys like me like 2,000 plus years later to kind of wrestle with and try and figure out. And I mean, thanks, John. I appreciate that, you know. 
Well, let's just start with this. If anyone sees his brother sinning, full stop, he will ask. When you see a brother or a sister in sin, John says the first thing we should do for them, which too often in reality becomes the last thing we do for them, is pray. People often feel it's their duty to expose them first. You know, send out a few concerning text messages so that others can pray and all. But I don't read here where John says if anyone sees his brother sinning, he should alert other folks. You see that there? I don't see it. God will allow us at times to be made aware of a sin situation in someone's life. Why? So that we might pray for them. If you see someone sinning, you should ask, right? You're, you're, you're interceding. And he, that is God, will give him, the sinning brother or sister, life. Guys, this is the power of intercessory prayer, of standing in the gap on behalf of others. God promises to bless and to honor the prayer made on behalf of another brother or sister in sin, possibly because they fall in line with what we've been learning already. When you're praying for someone in this capacity, it is like a fulfillment of the command to love the brethren. Guys, we know we're praying according to his will, and God says, listen, I'm going to honor that. And surely one of the greatest displays of our love for one another is found in that we would pray for one another. My, I hope I'm on your prayer list. I'm telling you, I don't know you all by name, but if this is your church home, I pray for you on the regular. And I hope, I pray that you would return that. It would be the greatest honor. We need to love one another and be praying for one another. Now, John qualifies this promise by clarifying that he's not speaking of sin that leads to death. He says, you see someone commit sin that leads to death, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. So, again, we kind of we scratch our heads. We think, John, what exactly are you talking about with this business of sin that leads to death? And, you know, there's a couple of schools of thought with this. I'm just going to give you my thoughts. You can agree or disagree so long as you have a biblical reason behind your thoughts. Fair? First of all, let me say ultimately, um, all sin leads to death. Right? We know this ultimately. The Bible is clear. The wages of sin is death. And by the way, to digress just a little bit here, this statement, the wages of sin is death, should be shocking, should be sobering to say the least, and should provoke a heart of repentance in each and every one of us. Guys, the wages, the reward of sin is death. Guys, imagine someone putting out an ad for a job opening. And there you are, you're reading through the paper or the online ad, whatever the case may be, 
You know, and it sounds like a pretty good job. Sounds pretty exciting, fairly exhilarating. You read on, you're thinking, man, I wonder what it pays. And so you're reading there, and it says, you know, you kind of begin to you get confused. You look under the wages because it just says you're deaf. Guys, you would be like, um, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I don't care how fun it is. I don't care how exciting it may seem. I just don't care what the job is. I'm not going to do this for this guy if the wage, the reward is the fact that I got to die. But people do this for sin all the time. It's like sin comes along and says, hey, I got a little something I'd like you to do for me. You know, you're going you're gonna to think it's awesome. Man, you're just going to enjoy the thunder out of it. And people are like, cool, what will you give me if I do this for you? And sin says, death. I pay in death. And they're like, well, that's awesome. Sign me up, partner. <laughs> you know, it makes no sense. But we're so quick to entertain it, to engage in it, to submit ourselves to it, rather than really think about it. And this is why the Bible says, you know, all the everybody says, but, but what will you do in the end? Guys, you got to think things through. But what John is talking about here, it seems to me, is sin that is punished by death. In other words, not the ultimate, eventual, or even eternal sense of the word, but the removal of the person from the planet. In other words, death being a rapid consequence because they're in a place where things are only going to get worse if they remain. You know, some wonder if John is speaking of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit here. I, I don't think so. It doesn't seem to me to be so. And here's why. He calls the person a brother. If you see a brother, he's speaking of a fellow believer, and the Bible demonstrates again and again, ladies and gentlemen, that there is sin that leads to physical death of the believer. You know, God essentially saying enough is enough. Son, daughter, you're coming in. You know, you're done playing for the day. You're coming inside. It's time to come home. And we see it, guys, in a sense, and this one might sort of like unsettle you or maybe make you go, wow, I never really looked at it that way. But we see it in a sense, even in the life of Moses, don't we? Think about that. Remember when Moses, there he was out in the wilderness and, and uh, you know, the people were griping. He went in, he was interceding on behalf of the people. And God said, I want you to go out there, Moses, just speak to the rock. You know, you've already struck the rock once. That's what I encouraged you to do. I, I, I instructed you to do. This time I'm telling you, just go speak to the rock and the and the waters are going to flow. People are going to be saved. And so Moses goes out there, and he's like, you rebels, and why must we, you know? And he gets all upset, and he gets angry, and wham, and he hits the rock. Now, God moved, but God didn't approve, did he? And I'm going to tell you guys, that's a lesson. That's a, that's a life lesson. Just because God's moving doesn't mean God's always approving, right? And so water flowed. Everyone was saved, but then God was like, Moses, step in my office, man. And so you, you remember what happened. Moses was in perfect health when it came time to enter the, the promised land. He even, you know, he was like, God, please, I just, I want to, I want to say, and God said no. Because of the way that he misrepresented God. And so God took him home rather than let him cross over the Jordan. Took him up on the mountain and said, it's time to come home, son. 
Nadab and Abihu. Remember them? Immediately struck by God when they offered profane fire at the inauguration of the priestly ministry in Leviticus chapter 10. Abihu? Yeah, that's his name. We could speak of Korah and his clan in Numbers chapter 16. You could speak of Uzzah or Uzzah, however you want to say his name, 2 Samuel chapter 6. There he was dancing, celebrating in the, in the, in the midst of the assembly in the ark. The oxen stumble. The ark starts to fall off. Bam, he reaches out and grabs the ark. God strikes him dead immediately. In the book of Acts, you have Ananias and Sapphira under the pretense of giving all to the Lord, and they were struck dead by God because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks of those who were getting drunk during the time they were to be honoring the Lord's Supper. And he said, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That is, they've died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened, disciplined by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. You know, I would venture to say this happens probably more often than we even realize. You know, God's not afraid to just bring people home when they come to a place where things are only going to escalate in an unhealthy manner if they remain. Now, John is clear not every sin is punishable by death, or else we'd just all die immediately, wouldn't we? And the reason that he does it, well, which sin is it? What sin leads to death? Well, the reason he doesn't name a specific sin that's punished by death is probably because it would be something different in your life than it would be in my life. You know, Moses misrepresented God. Uh, uh, Korah came against the servant of God. You know, Uzzah disobeyed the word of God. Ananias and Sapphira played the hypocrite. You remember that? I mean, oh, we've given all when in reality they hadn't. Man, imagine, <laughs> I surrender all. We sing the song, bam, we all just die. <laughs> you know, because you really did. You're, you're not, you know, have you really given all? And so I'm just saying, God searches the heart. Now, having said that, I, I, I need to say this. It is wrong for us to think that any believer who experiences an untimely death is being punished by God or under the heavy hand of God's chastening. That simply isn't true. But John says here that when a brother is sinning a sin that leads to death, he says, man, you can pray if you want. But if God's determined to bring them home, he's going to bring them home. Okay? My personal persuasion is that you see someone in sin, God, you know, reveals or exposes a sin in their life to you, listen to me, err to the side of prayer. If, you know, in other words, what I'm saying is I don't presume to know the heart of God in chastening each of his children. So why not pray? John doesn't forbid prayer. In fact, his whole point is to encourage prayer. And you can write it down, look it up later. I'm sure Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 fits in here somewhere. But all unrighteousness is sin. John is clear about that. And not all sin leads to rapid corrective judgment. And so I say let's just be careful to pray for one another. 
for restoration and reconciliation to God. Now, in verse 18, guys, we're not too far from finished. Stay with me. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world, underline it, lies under the sway of the wicked one. So there you go. If you're wondering why the world is so crazy, you're wondering why the world's so upside down, so reprobate, so debased, so immoral, so evil, so unfair and insane, now you know. The whole world lies under the sway, under the influence, lies in the lap of the wicked one. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. The God, the scripture says, lowercase g, of this world. And this is why people call good evil and evil good. But you, believer, he says, are of God. You see things, you have an understanding of things in a much different way than do the people of this world. You have what we refer to as a biblical worldview, which the world hates because their eyes are blinded. And so they see things in an inverted fashion. But as a child of God, without check it out, guys, this is a precious promise. As a child of God, the wicked one cannot touch you. This is a promise of protection from the Word of God. Now, this word touch, it's not, it's not just like, don't touch me. I'm touching you. I'm touching you. You remember that? Those annoying little sibling rivalries. Don't touch me. I'm touching you. Um, no, it's not like that. This word touch carries the idea of, of clinging, to hold on to. In other words, Satan cannot get roots in you. He cannot get his grips on you. He cannot possess you. Doesn't mean he can't harass you. Doesn't mean he can't have you persecuted or hurl accusation your way. But he has no part in you because God keeps charge over you. And so he cannot anchor himself to you. Now, as for the one born of God not sinning, guys, we dealt with this back in chapter 3 and verse 6. Uh, the verb tense is such that it speaks of a continual, habitual sin. In other words, it's not your lifestyle. If we say that we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. John said that as well. The idea here, guys, is that Christ breaks chains of sin in your life. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You have been crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be done away with. Now, where it says, he who has been born of God keeps himself, two schools of thought on that. Uh, number one, the believer has a role, has a responsibility before God, just as Jude said, to keep himself in the love of God. The other is that the one born of God is a reference to the Son of God, and the word himself could just as fairly be translated him. Uh, in other words, Jesus keeps you, and the wicked one doesn't touch you. Now, I don't really feel the need to split that hair because I believe both are true. 
okay? Now, let's look at these last couple of verses. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So, how do we really come to know, come to experience God and understand who he is in truth? Did you see it here? It's through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who opens our understanding. Guys, apart from Christ, Apart from his work in us, we could not know in truth who God is, how God thinks, what, what God wants to do in and through our lives and in this world. A true understanding of God comes through Jesus Christ. We cannot attain it on our own. We cannot attain it through academic studies. Guys, if God did not reveal himself to us, we simply would not and could not know him. Now, and by the way, we're getting ready to close, so uh, whoever's coming forward now. But I want you to look at this emphatic, this radical declaration of deity here before we close. Look at it here at the end of verse 20. It says, and we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Guys, this, that is Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. Yes, Jesus was a man, guys. He was also God, the true God and eternal life. And he says, little children. And I love that because it implies influential. It implies being teachable, right? He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, is John speaking of these little trinkets carved of stone or fashioned out of wood or silver or gold? Perhaps. But context tends to point us toward false narratives of who Jesus is. Guys, John has spent all this time developing who Jesus is in truth. Now he says, don't drift toward, don't go after anything less, anything else, anything other than Jesus Christ in truth. You know, God formed us after his image, and then man has a tendency to turn around and form God in his image. Make a God after his own liking who approves what he wants. This is idolatry. Don't worship the Jesus of man's making. You know, the good teacher, Michael the archangel, the spirit brother of Lucifer, a man with the Christ spirit, an emanation from God. John says, no, you keep it real. Follow after. Believe in. Cling to the true Jesus, fully man, fully God, the Savior of the world.
Father, I pray that we always seek after Jesus Christ in truth. And God, that nothing else come between us. That we not lift our souls to another or some other thing in his place. And Lord, we long for the day when rather than this world being under the sway of the wicked one, that you rule and reign over the earth in perfect righteousness. God, we recognize that nothing will be truly as it should be until your son, Jesus Christ, is ruling over the earth. And even so, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. And I just encourage you today, if you don't know the Lord, you're not ready to see Jesus face to face, I'd say, listen, don't delay. Turn from your sin. Trust in him today. Why wait? Why put it off another day? I'm telling you. You know, I was a relatively young man when I gave my life to Christ. I was 19 years old. And to this day, I can tell you my regret is that I didn't sooner. You know? And so, um, such is the story, such is the case, such is the testimony of anyone I've ever met that waited, that delayed, that decided to wait for another time or opportunity to give their life to Jesus. Like, why? Why? Why did I wait? God has so much for you. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sin. Clean slate. The gift of His Holy Spirit. The promise of this provision, protection from the wicked one. I mean, on and on it goes. His mercies are new every morning. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I mean, come let us reason together. Your sins like scarlet, I'll make it white like snow. This is the love of God. He has so loved you that he gave Jesus Christ for you. So if you just believe on him. You'd never perish, but have everlasting life. So maybe I'm just talking to hear my head rattle, or maybe this, this part of the message is just for you. And be that the case, I want to encourage you. I don't care how old or how young you are, who you've come here with. Those things are secondary. Those things are peripheral. The primary issue is, have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Not some variation of who you want him to be, but who he is. The sinless son of God, the savior of the world. So I'm going to encourage you that if, if your heart's turning to the Lord in this fashion, you wouldn't believe on the Lord. You're, you're, you're placing your faith in the Lord. I want to pray for you. And so I'd encourage you, I'd ask you to be bold and just to let me know who you are. Just show me your hand, and if I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it. You can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second and say, you know what, man? Yeah, yeah, this is me right here, right now. Anyone I can pray for? Father, we're so grateful just for your grace and your compassion. And we do thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning.
Lord, I just want to trust that you're, my Lord, you're touching and, and ministering to hearts, God. I, I don't know every need that's here, Lord, but I thank you that you do. And so, Lord, I just pray for that person who's struggling with anxiety or wrestling with depression or wondering what to do because of the situation or the circumstance. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are wisdom from God and righteousness. And I just pray that uh, you just minister healing and hope. And Lord, maybe hearts that are turning back to you. Just saying, God, show me what to do. Maybe a... I don't know. I just don't know, Lord. Families that are divided or... Now, I'm just praying, God, that... Uh, you do restoration. You do reconciliation. Lord, we want to be these people who intercede on behalf of one another. And so, God, we just say, have your way. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? guys, may the Lord bless you and, and may he watch out over you. May his word dwell richly in you and may it bring forth fruit in you guys. So you're wondering, what are we going to learn next week? Well, most of you that have been with us, you know, man, we're, we're headed right back to the good old book of Isaiah. And, uh, man, like I said, I thought it was going to be a couple of months. Wound up being, I don't know, I'd have to look back, probably six. <laughs> I thought, oh, First John, there's five chapters. We'll just, you know, we'll blast through it. And uh, God had other plans, you know. We just, we, it's hard. I just, listen, man, I mean, this is God's time. It's not my time, you know. Uh, chapter 28, if you want to read through and kind of get familiar with and pray over, start looking at that chapter and see what God might say to you and share with you and then come and bounce it off, you know, what we, what we discover as a body. If you have any need for prayer, we want to encourage you. That we're going to dismiss here. You can come right on down here. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you, whatever your need may be. And uh, so, Father, once again, we're just praying that you go before us now. We thank you for your goodness toward us. We pray, Lord, that you help us to shine as a light, to be salt, Lord, uh, in this dark and decaying world. And Father, that we would go forth from here, Lord, and not just kind of allow the seed of your word to be snatched away or to, you know, fizzle out or not take root or but that, God, we, we, you would just use us, that we would be infectious with your love and encouraging others to come and see and to taste of your goodness, for surely you are good. And so we just, uh, Lord, thank you for move, moving and ministering in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday. And we'll catch you next time. Uh, oh, men's meeting, men's ministry, or men's, uh, if you're going to the conference, they're going to have a meeting here real quick.